With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Welcome back to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here with Ken Campbell and Ryan Kennedy. And now we're starting to get to the fun part of the NHL season. It's not just rumors. It's not just injuries we're talking about, coach firings. It's trades. Or so we thought. I thought it was an exciting time of year. But then we kind of heard what the trades were. And our first hot topic of the week is analyzing a couple trades that were kind of just Eh, it was like getting a pair of socks. All oh, the Pittsburgh Penguins have made a trade. It's Carl Hagelin for Tanner Pearson. And the Rangers and Oilers, they swap Ryans. Strom for Spooner. Eh, what do you guys think? Should we, should we read into these trades as something meaningful for any of the four teams involved? Or is this a case of four teams shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic, as they say? Well, I, I don't know if, the, if it's the Rangers shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic. They're in second place in their division, so they're doing okay. But the other three teams are struggling mightily. And uh, the, I, I just, I, I, don't, I don't quite understand where, like, a team like Pittsburgh is coming from on this. Um, you know, they were a team that two years ago set the template for the modern team now with speed and skill and everything. They have done nothing but sort of get slower and older, obviously, in the last couple of years. And they just traded away one of their fastest skaters for a guy whose who's hallmark is not is not speed. So, and I guess with Edmonton, I, I assume Edmonton's just trying to have every Ryan who's ever lived play for them. Mm-hmm. So they they traded out one Ryan and got another. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, a lot of sort of a lot of nothing here. I mean, you, you know, with Ryan Spooner, he brings a little more skill, a uh, little more speed, a little better skater, a lot less grit um, to you know to that lineup. And then Strom is co- sort of more of a big body guy, I guess that. And, and, I mean, of course, you know, we all know where this is going, right? They're going to put him with Connor, and they're going to see what happens, and it probably won't be great. Yeah. <laughs> I, I really feel like when I heard these trades, like, oh, man, that's boring. These are boring trades. Why did you even make them? It, it really does seem like change for the sake of change, and I, I just wonder with these teams. I, I know a lot of times the market gets deadlocked, and you just want to see if you can move pieces around, and particularly with, with players like Stroman Spooner and, and Haglin, for that matter, as well. I think a lot of GMs say, well, you know, he's hit a rut, but maybe we can have him turn over a new leaf. Maybe we can get him going again. And we, we see it with Spooner in the past where, yep. you know, when he gets to town, he'll have a bit of a spurt. And, he did and that in New York, great. exactly. Certainly yeah. did that yeah. with the Rangers. Yeah. Um, not so much this year. And I, I think... You say to yourself, well, maybe we can unlock something. But I, I think at this point in the careers of, of all of these players, they are who we think they are. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're not going to get a lot more out of them. So for me, it was 
It was just kind of pointless. Yeah. I, I, I think did I say Strom was going to play with that with with no, no, Connor McDavid? No, you, I said, said Spooner. I said Spooner. Yeah. Okay, because okay. I was Don't thinking worry. about it and I was I thought no that that's wrong. No, you're okay, good. You good, got it. He, he's got it all right. It's okay, not perfect. senile yet. It's all okay, good. good. It's all good. good. Nice uh, here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I I think this is a case as well of four teams, especially three of them, that have a bit of a homogenous identity and are trying to just put in a contradictory character into the mix. So, for example, the Kings, their entire team is slow, so they're going to add one fast guy to try and mix it up. Yeah. And I think if you look at the Oilers, you know, with guys like Lucic and Zach Cashin, they have enough size and grit, so they needed to get faster. And Ryan Spooner, he can play all three forward positions, and we can let the speculation begin. If a guy like Ty Ratty is going to get a shot with McDavid, then there's a decent chance that Spooner does as well. And with the Penguins, they're still a faster team than most, even though they're getting slower. Mm -hmm. And I think Pearson's identity is that of a, a digger. And I don't know, maybe... That's why I do wonder if Pearson might get a shot on Sidney Crosby's line, because often Sid's most successful lines have had at least one guy who's a digger, whether it was Chris Kunitz, I guess with Kunitz and Dupuis, he had two diggers right. in the heyday, but just watch out for those diggers. <laughs> I just want to keep saying diggers a few more times. Uh, <laughs> uh, also in the news right now, if you look at the Atlantic Division, especially going into the season, it, it was supposed to be a three-horse race between the Leafs, Tampa Bay Lightning, Boston Bruins, and supposedly the rest of the division was going to be pretty weak. We're seeing surprisingly good seasons from especially Buffalo, Ottawa, Montreal. And right now, Boston has been bitten by the injury bug big time. Patrice Bergeron, awkward fall into the boards, shoulder trouble. And you've got Zdeno Chara out three to four weeks, MCL injury. And with a guy that big and that old, that might be an optimistic timeline. So do you think the Boston Bruins are in trouble? And if they're in trouble, what do you define trouble as in the situation? Or is Boston in danger of falling to the playoff bubble? Are they out of the running for the division title if they fall too far behind? What do you think right now? I don't, I don't think they are. I mean, they, I think that the Boston Bruins have always sort of gone on a day-to-day -day basis knowing that Patrice Bergeron could be hurt at any time. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so it's almost like they have to, they, they, that's an eventuality that they have to deal with, and, they're, and of course they're dealing with it now. Um, the other night, I think, uh, I think they had two defensemen that had NHL experience in their lineup. Um, but to me, I mean... You know, I think I think what the Bruins have to rely on and what they're getting is a guy like Jake DeBrusque, who had a really slow start, has to do what he's doing lately, what he's done in the last, I think, seven games. He's gotten points in the last seven games. Uh, Jacob Forsbacka Carlson came up and got his first NHL goal the other night. So what they're going to need, obviously, is some of these younger guys that they have in their lineup to, you know, to step up. And, and, and I think they can. And, I, you know, I mean, all they have to do is kind of tread water for a while. I mean, it's not like the Eastern Conference is, you know, a murderer's row, right? Um, so I, I think that I think that if they if they can hang in there and sort of just get some get some good performances from some of their younger players, you know, like the DeBrusques and, and some of these other guys, then I think they'll be fine. Yeah, and I think also, you know, you look at somebody like John Moore, uh, a more veteran player really needs to step up on that blue line. Right. He's had some pretty good games so far this season. And you know, when I look at the Bruins, you know, you mentioned Forsbacka Carlson. They did a pretty good job drafting the past couple of years yeah. and bringing along guys at the right rate uh, where they've used Providence in the AHL as a, a nice little breeding ground for themselves. And this is where you see how well that development went because, uh, like you said, guys need to step up. And those young players that can fit into different slots. I mean, the thing about JFK is that he plays a two-way game. 
He's not Patrice Bergeron because nobody's Patrice Bergeron, but at least he can play that similar style of game where you can trust him in his own end. He'll play a 200-foot game for you. And you know what? The good thing, too, is with Yarrow Halak in net, he's been able to take pressure off Tuka Rask when things haven't been going well for Tuka Rask, but we know what the upside is with Rask. He's a Vesna Trophy-winning goaltender. So because they have that great depth, I think they're going to be okay particularly because the Metro is so weak this year, you're getting at least four spots in the East for the Atlantic Division, <laughs> maybe five. Yeah. Right now yeah. it's five, right. if you can believe that. Yeah. So they've got a little more leeway than we expected, but I think that idea of Tampa being number one, Toronto and Boston being two and three, uh, is maybe a little up in the air right now. Fair. And interestingly, another team that's in a playoff spot in the Atlantic right now, the Buffalo Sabres. And I think we all agreed that they were going to improve and finally be at least relevant. I, I was thinking maybe 85-point range this year and maybe playoffs the next year. But right now, they're one of the hottest teams and not the hottest team in the conference. Do you think this is Buffalo arriving, or is this a temporary hot streak? What do you, what do you feel is the future this year for Buffalo? No, I, I think they've arrived, and, and they should be arriving. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, it's about this, time. Yeah, yeah, this team should be arriving with some of the good young talent that they have and the moves that they made this summer. Like, Carter Hutton was a, was a great pickup for the, for the Buffalo Sabres. You know, Connor Sheary and, and Jeff Skinner, I mean, those are guys, like, I mean, the thing about Buffalo was, they couldn't score goals. And, they, and the old joke was, you know, score two goals against the Sabres and you pretty much have shared yourself a victory. Well, that's not the case anymore. And they've got, you know, obviously a incredibly dynamic young man on that blue line in Rasmus Dahlin. I mean, this is a kid who is has such a head for the game, such a great sort of offensive bent to his game. I mean, last uh, he scored a goal just, just in their last game where, like, he was five feet from the net. He was, he was almost in the goal crease. Um, so I, a rounded player. So, you know, you're seeing kind of this sort of bad, bad, bad for so many years start to pay off. And I think just the moves that, that Jason Botterill made this summer, I thought they were terrific moves. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible to think, you know, the Jeff Skinner trade, at the time it was kind of curious. We said, like, well, the Canes didn't think that they could sign him to a long-term extension, so you move him out. But, I mean, what a boon for the Sabres to get a guy with the scoring power of yeah. Jeff Skinner and to be able to put him into that lineup that had some nice weapons already. And as you mentioned, like with Connor Sheary, the idea of getting winners on that roster I think was so crucial for Buffalo. A guy that has cup rings and can say, this is what happens when things get tough. I've been there, we can get through it. I also think the time has come for Phil Housley as a coach where he's been there long enough to get his systems in place and for new head coaches, it can sometimes take a while. And We've seen it in the past, uh, particularly in Colorado with, with Jared Bednar. You look at the abs right now, they're fantastic. And, I mean, that top line is obviously a, a big part of it, but they, they know what they're doing under Bednar. And I, I think Housley it was obviously super rough when he first came in, yeah. but to give him that mm-hmm. amount of time, to give him that runway to establish himself and to establish his culture, I think we're starting to see the fruits of that labor in Buffalo. Fair. And a little tidbit about Rasmus Dahlin, and I think of it when you mentioned him scoring from five feet out, he told me this last year, he was a forward for a lot of his childhood, and he idolized Peter Forsberg. People think, oh, Nick Lidstrom. No, no, 
Peter Forsberg was the guy that he studied closely and wanted to be, and I think that's why he has that forward mentality when it comes to attacking. Absolutely. Yeah, it's fantasy insider time now, and this is a guy I grabbed in my league. It's usually a guy I grabbed in my own league, let's, let's be honest here. What place you in, Matt? Uh, I'm in third out yeah, of 16, but I'm, I'm almost tied for first, okay? Uh, Drake Batherson of the Ottawa Senators, and this is a guy who was not a first-round pick, so he didn't have that supposedly elite prospect pedigree, but we saw him as a big standout at the World Juniors for Canada last year, and the AHL looked like he was just playing on easy mode. 20 points in 14 games, his first 14 games uh, as an AHL pro. Just breezed through it. And he's getting an immediate opportunity. And I'm sure you guys see a pattern. I keep recommending Ottawa Senators in fantasy, especially for deep leagues, because they're cheap to get. And Ottawa just keeps giving these talented kids opportunities because they just have the room on the depth chart. And mm -hmm. Batherson, he parachutes right in. He's on the line with Matt Duchesne, who's playing some excellent hockey right now. Really, really is. Outstanding. The Uber thing yeah. might have just fired him up. <laughs> and Batherson's getting power play time. Gets a power play goal in the first game. And you're seeing instant chemistry there. So that's a guy who I think has potential to almost creep behind. I mean, it looks like it's Elias Pettersson's rookie race, but Batherson to me is a guy that if he sticks, could start racking up numbers and become a sleeper to be one of the better rookies of the season. Another guy I want you to grab, especially if you were a Mike Smith owner, is David Riddich in Calgary. And Riddich to me is an interesting pickup because I see a lot of long-term upside for the rest of this season. Because Mike Smith, he's 36 years old. He's been injury prone, especially last year, and he's on the last year of his contract. And to me, that says Calgary doesn't really owe Smith anything. There's no pressure. It's not like Tukarask. He's also been terrible. He's also, also been terrible, been of course. Yeah. But Tukarask in Boston getting pushed by Yarrow Halak. But we know that Rask is going to lose his job. He makes $7 million a year. He has a couple years left on his deal. But Mike Smith, on the other hand, he's on his way out. So there's no reason to be loyal to Mike Smith, with all due respect to Smith. Calgary may as well see what it has in David Riddich, which so far looks like it's an excellent goaltender. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of upside to grab David Riddich right now and go get him. And lastly, we already talked a bit about him, it's Ryan Spooner. And again, you have to understand, with these pickups, these are guys that you might be dropping again in a week. That's why they're available on the wire, right? But there's upside there. Ryan Spooner, just go grab him, especially if you have a, a bench in your league. Stash him for a week or two. Just see where he ends up settling in on the depth chart. He's not with McDavid yet, but the way the Oilers are playing right now, it's a disaster zone. I think anything's possible. Any permutation in the lineup is possible. So you're going to want to have Spooner if he gets the chance, because he has shown on a per-minute basis, especially with Boston, when he's given the chance, he can score. He has scoring touch. So go get Spooner. Mm -hmm. Future watch time. Ryan Kennedy, you have the floor with some prospects. All right, so let's start with the 2019 draft class. Bobby Brink playing right wing for the Sioux City Musketeers of the USHL. He is playing on the hottest line in that circuit. Uh, Martin Pospisil, the Calgary Flames draft pick, is, is the center right now. And the fantastically named Marcus Kalyan Kieli uh, is on the left wing. He's also for the 2019 draft. He's from Finland, obviously. Uh, but Bobby Brink, 28 points in 16 games. I remember watching him last year in Minnesota High School with the Minnetonka Skippers, uh, which is the team that Jake Gardner came from uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. But, uh, you know, a bit of a smaller player, but very dynamic. Uh, obviously a lot of skill there. Committed to the University of Denver, which has been a really good landing spot for NHL prospects in the past couple of years. Uh, Jim Montgomery had been coaching them. Now he's with the Dallas Stars. David Carl has taken over, and uh, they, they still have a really nice pool of players. So Bobby Brink, I think he's a, a very exciting 
talent to watch. And he will play for Team USA at the World Junior A Challenge, which is a tournament in mid-December, which has a lot of good players in it. Tyson Jost was there. Uh, Brock Besser played there for Team USA. Jost, of course, was for Canada. Uh, Dante Fabro as well. So uh, a nice little tournament there. So a uh, good opportunity for Bobby Brink uh, at the World Junior A Challenge, which uh, is going to be in Alberta this year again. Um, as for drafted players, going to go in net with Ian Scott, with the Prince Albert Raiders of the WHL, hottest team in Major Junior, best team in Major Junior. Uh, he is a Toronto Maple Leafs goaltending prospect, 17-1 and one this year. He has four shutouts, so he has four times as many shutouts as he has losses. Had never had more than two shutouts in a season before this. And uh, 950 save percentage, 1.39 goals against average. The thing about Scott... He's got great size. He's six foot three, but in past years he just never had the the game together. And he told me a couple of weeks ago that he really worked on the mental side of things this summer, and he actually feels bigger because of that. He feels stronger in net, and it's it's clearly paying off because uh, he struggled with the Raiders for the first couple of seasons, and now obviously you know the best goaltender maybe in the league. I mean, they've, they've got some pretty good tenders in the dub. But, you know, this is a player that didn't even get an invite to Canada's World Junior Camp in the summer. But I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in December because he's playing so well. Interesting. Okay. Uh, switching over to the magazine right now. And our next issue, the one that you'll probably be able to find on most newsstands right now, is the goalie issue. Marc-Andre Fleury's on the cover. Uh, but a guy that I featured in the magazine, it was a very fun story to do, is Mr. John Gibson with the Anaheim Ducks. And Gibson's an interesting story. Speaking to him, he's not the easiest guy to talk to. And if, I, and if I'm being honest, my trick was to just keep him on the phone for as long as I could to get enough volume. He's sort of a closed-off guy, but that's sort of what makes him a unique character because he's been beaten down as a goaltender throughout his career. He was cut from his high school team. And he told wow. me he didn't even play AAA. He played double A before he went to the USNTDP. So he had a lot of rejections. He, he wanted to be a first-round pick. He was furious when he wasn't. So it kind of beat him down over the course of his life. And I think it made him a more guarded guy. Um, but the Ducks coach, Sudzi as they call him, a very interesting character, self-taught guy. He, he learned how to be a goalie by watching videos of Bernie Perrault and Jacques Plante. Completely self-taught. He's sort of an outside-the-box thinker. And he's a former teacher who worked with at-risk kids and gang members and it gave him the ability to sort of get through to people that had their walls up. And it made him a very unique and perfectly suited coach for John Gibson, and I think it really unlocked parts of Gibson's game. And Sudsy explains it in the story, the technical parts that Gibson needed to work on to become a better goalie, great athlete, but needed to sort of slow things down a little bit. Uh, and in that story, I make the assertion that John Gibson is the best goaltender in the NHL today. He faces a crazy uh, concentration of high-volume scoring chances and still manages to stop so many of them. He has great stats and among goalies with uh, 150 or more career games all time, he is number one in save percentage. And one of the most fascinating things about the story was when I was talking to Ryan Miller for it about John Gibson, and I was about to bring up the high-danger scoring chances and all the fancy stats, and Miller kind of interrupts me, and he's like, oh, did you, have you seen the high-danger scoring chances? And you got, you got to go look, look at all the fancy stats, and Gibson's number one and all these things. So it was sort of fascinating to see that the Ducks as a team are sort of um, thinking ahead, looking at those advanced stats. If you want to learn more, go check out the goalie issue, and you can find out all about Mr. John Gibson. Time for Ken to get angry. It's the hot take. I want rage, Ken. What's bugging Ken this week? Yeah. What's grinding your gears? Well, what's grinding my gears? Okay, well, it was so lovely, so lovely to see last week that the right-wing progressive conservative government of Doug Ford in Ontario 
was perfectly willing to carry the water for the Ontario Hockey League in their, in their efforts to exploit young teenagers. That was just lovely, I thought. Not surprising, but lovely. Um, and now we have the peep, everybody lining up with the, the flavor of the month, which is if we have to pay kids minimum wage, these, these junior hockey players minimum wage, our teams are going to go out of business. Well, I'm calling BS on that. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, we don't know what, what, what would happen with, to these teams. What we do know is that these teams that are saying this are teams that don't share a penny of revenues with each other. So some of these teams make millions of dollars every year. Other teams lose money or, or just break even. Some of them are community owned, but they don't share revenues. And to me, guys, a junior hockey team in your town is a privilege, not a right, okay? It's a business. So, I, mean, I mean, there are what, 58 major junior teams in Canada right now, and there are 31 NHL teams. All of these, th these kids, these team, these leagues are not in business to, to to supply the NHL with talent because the vast majority of the kids who play don't have to pay to get into their NHL games. So to me, I mean, you know, to the to the lovely people of places like Swift Current and Bay Como and Owen Sound, well, you know what? If that means you lose your team, then I'm sorry. That means you lose your team. You have to pay for that privilege. But to me, junior hockey is on the wrong side of history on this. In a big, big way, they keep fighting against the current of, of just common sense and logic. And I, I, I think they're embarrassing themselves. Mm -hmm. That's fair. I, I don't think I have a counter-argument because I just kind of agree. I, yeah. I don't know what's happening. Is it a full moon? or? <laughs> I, agree, I agree with Ken Campbell. <laughs> Where but, am I? But I mean, like, I mean, you get these scholarship packages, which is all well and good. I mean, it's great that they have, you know, the, the scholarships available, but you have to take advantage of them after 18 months, or they go, or if you sign a pro contract, uh, then you lose, then you lose your money. And to me, it's like, why would they not, at the very least, leave those for every eligible player for as long as they? want to put, put it off. As, so if they need them in five years, they use them in five years. They earned that money because they sure as heck didn't earn it on their paychecks, right? So, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I just think that junior hockey's fighting against a tidal wave of common sense here, and they may win. They may end up winning, but it's it, they're not on the right side of history. It's a good hot take, Ken. Right, good hot take. Now it's time for the mailbag. First question is from Sanu Gill, and Sanu says, Hendrik Lundqvist has been a longtime performer with the New York Rangers are they buyers or sellers? They are overachieving, and how will they win a Stanley Cup? I, I mean, I think it's pretty fair to say that we can't call the Rangers buyers unless this is a, a crazy, a crazy Trojan horse thing where that whole letter to the fans was just a misdirection. But I, I think they've been pretty disciplined since they sent that letter to the Absolutely. fans. Jeff Gordon, mm -hmm. they didn't go crazy in the summer. They didn't make any sort of reckless signings like they've always been known for. They kept all their draft picks. They had first-round picks. Oh, my God, Rangers, first-round picks. Three first-round picks. Three. Oh, my. They had, they've had five in the last two years. Yeah. So they, they've turned over a, a new leaf. I think it's a nice story that they're maybe ahead of schedule. I don't know if it's going to be sustainable, but I don't think it affects their trajectory personally. No. no I, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, I think that they're in a great situation. I think Jeff Gordon has done a fantastic job. And I think even if they are in a playoff position come trade deadline time, they could still be sellers because they're still looking to the future. If they can unload a veteran contract uh, or two, 
I think that's okay because they're still building and they have a really nice growing young core. I think they have some fantastic young assets and some fa fantastic young players. Um, with Henrik Lundqvist, we know he wants to stay in town. And when you can have somebody of his character in your dressing room at this point of a rebuild, I think you take that 10 times out of 10. I mean, there's no downside to having Henrik Lundqvist in your lineup right now where he can be that voice. He can be that guy who's been through so much with that franchise. He knows the city so well. He knows the organization so well. Great to have him around. You're still waiting on Igor Shesterkin to come over from Russia. His contract is still going on there. Um, so for now, I think you keep building and... You know, if you can get more future assets for guys that you know aren't going to be on your team in two to three years or, or won't be contributing, um, then I think you just keep doing that. Well, I mean, the Rangers are, you know, they're playing with house money here, right? Totally. I mean, and they're they're probably a two-week, two, disastrous two-week span from falling, tumbling down into the bottom of the division. But the fact of the matter is, is they're playing... They're playing very well. They're playing very well for a new coach. They're playing an up-tempo game. Uh, they've they've got you know they've gotten a lot of good performances from you know guys that we had never heard of like who is Neil Ponk? Pionk. I got him in Neil my right, yeah. There you go. Like yeah, who is he? Who, did anybody know who he was uh, two years ago? I did. Two years ago, you knew. Last him. year, yeah. I did. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, but but to me, I, I don't think the the Rangers should be either. I don't think they should be buyers or sellers. What I'd like to see the Rangers do is if they can stay in this spot in a division that really has turned out to be really meh. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, you know, Pittsburgh's not what we thought they were. Washington still literally has a Stanley Cup hangover, obviously. They've won, I think they've won two games in a row once this season. Um, so to me, I, I think I think the Rangers, I mean, what I'd like to see them do is if they can stay in this spot, like, don't worry about selling off your parts. Just see where these guys can take in. If at the end of the year, then you lose them for nothing, you lose them for nothing. You know, I mean, so you're going to get a third-round pick for one of these guys or whatever. Big deal. For Matt Zagrello, though? For maybe, Matt Zagrello. Maybe you get more than a third-rounder. Maybe you do get more than a third-rounder. But I, I, if I'm the Rangers, if I'm in a playoff spot, I'd rather see Matt Zagrello in my lineup and see what he can do for a playoff run. Maybe he's the guy that plays out of his mind, and maybe somehow, some way, we steal the first round or something, yeah. you know? And, and then... Because when you're trying to develop young players, I mean, it's all well and good to say that, you know, they need to develop this way and whatever. Nothing develops players more than being in a winning culture and, and learning how to win. And I think that's what the, that the Rangers have an opportunity to do this year. And I, I think they should take it if they can. Fair. And it's interesting, too. Who knew that Kevin Shattenkirk signing, signing that short, relatively short-term deal as a free agent would be such a boon for the Rangers? I think they're going to be, unfortunately, happy to get out of that contract. Yeah. And I wonder if yeah. he's a guy, does he go on the block or is his value too low? Does he have too many years left or would, would the Rangers be willing to eat a bit of his salary to move him? if it could return something good. I think he's a name to watch. Maybe not this year, maybe it's next year more likely. But mm. we'll see. Yeah. Uh, sticking in the Metro Division with the next question, it's from Darren, wannabe pragmatist. And Darren says, will the suffering Penguins have a shot at Jack Hughes or Capo Caco? What a question. Imagine if we got this question in the summer, we would have been like, <laughs> but now we're like, that is a good question, Mr. Yes. Pragmatist. And it's a fair question. And we Mr. Need to, pragmatist. We need to study this because it's relevant. Right, um, right. <laughs> Why? Why? Because they're in last place in the Eastern Conference or sec and second last place in the NHL? Yeah. Wow. Can you imagine being Jack Hughes right now and be like, Jack, statistically speaking, you're going to either go to Pittsburgh or Los Angeles. 
that must be awesome. Like, not only do you get to go to the NHL because you're a fantastic talent, but either you're playing with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, who would give him amazing cover, like Jack Hughes would be your third-line center. That's hilarious to me. Yeah. Um, Imagine him against third-line matchups in the NHL. Oh, my God, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Or you go to Los Angeles where you have Drew Doughty and Andre Kopitar and, you know, the remnants of Jonathan Quick in that, you know, hopefully he's mended by then, but like... And you can wear shorts and flip-flops to the rink every day. Yeah, and it's where you're, <laughs> you know, and, you know, that's where your agent is. Right, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, if if Jack Hughes is a generational player, then of course Pittsburgh's going to get him because, that's what you know, they do. they're due yeah. for one. They're due yeah. for one. They haven't had one in, you know, 13 years now since Sidney Crosby, so, so they're, they're, they're due for one. The thing... I don't think that this is going to stay the way it is in Pittsburgh, but they are playing so badly right now. Yeah. It's almost like they 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 don't want the puck. Like they give it up so easily. Um, their goaltending is has been just absolutely poor. Yeah. But the only the only thing I can see here that would keep, that would prevent the Pittsburgh Penguins from finishing badly enough to get this guy is that. They have a GM who's won cups. He's won three cups. He's the, one of the most veteran GMs in the league. I don't think he's going to sit back and watch this continue. I think he will continue to push buttons and to make trades. I, I mean, and, and I'm, not, I'm not here to say anybody's job's in danger, but this is a guy that's not afraid to fire a coach if the team is performing poorly. That's and it. we all know what having a new coach can do to a Pittsburgh Penguins team that's motivated. That's right. This is a team... I. I I think the Pittsburgh Penguins, there are, there are a select couple of teams in the NHL that can flip the switch. I believe this is one of them. I believe the Pittsburgh Penguins are one of them. They've mucked around here, not this badly, but they've mucked around low in the standings in previous years, and then boom, then they, then they shoot up, and the next thing you know, they win the Stanley Cup. So I don't think this is going to continue, but the on-ice product suggests that this is a team that's in complete disarray. Right. And every empire does crumble. For several years, we said about LA and Chicago, oh, you know, they're going to turn it on when it matters. They still have the ability to yep. flick, flick the switch. And then suddenly, they didn't. So it will happen to Pittsburgh. If I had the hottest take in the world, this is not a real hot take, but I'm just going to float it out there. Imagine, like, Crosby and Jim Rutherford go and sit in the dark candlelit. I don't know why candles. They're in a dark room before the season starts, and Crosby's like, okay, I think I have five really good years left. Let's tank this year and get Jack Hughes and it will be amazing for, for the last four years of my career or whatever. Imagine penguins are tanking. That'd be wild. That would be hardcore. Man, you you play in too many fantasy leagues. What's <laughs> your problem? One. I play one. I'm just saying that imagine. Just just think about it, okay? And our last question comes from from Andreas Offner. Andreas says with the Jets stable in the top end of the Central Division and Patrick Line stalling in his contract year does GM Kevin Sheveldayoff's job get easier or harder this season? I mean, to me, Sheveldayoff's going to have his work cut out for him regardless of what happens. Just Big time. The contract situation, it's when it's the curse of having of being blessed with so many good players. It's mm. going to be difficult to figure out, and you still have Jacob Trouba to sort out again. Uh, it's going to require some gymnastics. I don't know whether it means someone's going to get traded, but, yeah, I would say his job's getting harder by the day, sure. Absolutely, and the, and like you said, I mean that's what happens when you have a good team and and guys come up for renewal. I mean, so Patrick Line, I mean, he hasn't been, he hasn't been good. Well, <laughs> he's been good. That's all he's been. And I he's think. slump prone. He's always been slump yeah, prone. Yeah, yeah, and, and I mean he's he's not getting any assists. Somebody you guys said off camera that uh, he's he got his first 
primary, primary assist, assist like the other night or something. Yeah. yeah. So let's say he gets only 35 to 40 goals. Well, I think when you're talking about a Patrick Line extension, you're talking about you still think this is this is a guy that's going to be in the thick of the Rocket Richard race for the next eight years, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's going to be that's going to that's going to be the going rate. You know, he's still got to figure out what to do with Jacob Truba, and he's got a lot of good players that will eat up a lot of cap space that he's going to have to maneuver. So, no, I don't think... I mean, the Winnipeg Jets are decidedly meh this year, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I thought they were going to be a lot better than they've been. They're, they're, I think they're kind of coasting right now. Feels like Yeah, it. yeah. And, uh, and, and I suspect that if Nashville keeps playing the way they have this year, they're going to they're gonna run away with that division. Um, but, uh, but I just think that, you know, they're, they're not playing to their potential. And uh, this is a team that I think has the, the opportunity to be really good this year for the next couple of years. Um, you know, we picked them to win the Stanley Cup this year, and I'm not wavering from that. I think they still, they still have what it takes. Um, so that, you know, when you have a team that good, it's always, it's always more difficult. It's always, it's always difficult. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, Toronto is seeing that now. It's always difficult when you have that many good players making a lot of money. Right. And the thing with Patrick Laine that I think a lot of people forget is he's 20 years old. He's the age now that Ovechkin was in his rookie season. He has 80 goals mm -hmm. at the point that he's the same age as Ovechkin's rookie season. And if you adjust for era, Patrick Laine has the most goals ever by a teenager in NHL history, ahead of D Jimmy Carson and Dale Howardchuk. If you if you factor in the era adjustment, even without it, he's like I think he's top three. So, if people are trying to look at Laine and say, oh, if he only scores 35 goals, does he, is he going to fall down into let's say the Vladimir Tarasenko range? But no, no Vladimir Tarasenko no. was in, in was like 23 or something when he signed his RFA deal. Laine is only 20 right now. So what he's doing at his age right now, you want to lock him up long term, and he's going to deserve. A major number, even if it's nine, ten million dollars. I don't think a slump to start the year is going to affect that because we know that for every line A slump, there's a crazy goal scoring binge as well. It's right. just the way he operates. He's, he seems to be an emotional player, and I'm sure as he gets older, he'll get more mature and he'll iron that out. But at this stage of his, of his career, you're going to get the slumps and you're going to get the massive hot streaks. Yeah, and I mean, going back to Kevin Sheveldayoff, you know, his job is it easier or harder? Well, if they win the Stanley Cup, then his job is super easy because mission accomplished. Yeah. And at that point, you say to yourself, well, we can't keep everyone. We know Truba has wanted out in the past, and or at least wanted a bigger role. And if we can't offer him that, then maybe we can do something where, you know, we at least get an asset back in return. Uh, we have some young players coming up on the defensive side uh, where you know maybe they could be ready next season if they had to be. I'm thinking about a kid like Dylan Sandberg, currently at Minnesota Duluth. Obviously, ideally, you would like to give Sandberg more time, but it really comes down to how Winnipeg does this spring and into summer. If they win it all, then you don't have problems. You just have a parade and a lot of beer, and you worry about <laughs> your roster later on because you gave the fans of Winnipeg something they've never had before, which is the Stanley Cup. If you don't win, then yeah, it gets harder because then you have to be looking at the teams in your rearview mirror in the West and saying, we are in our window now. We need to push this to its logical conclusion which is that we need to win this right away and I mean luckily for Kevin Sheveldayoff he came from the Chicago Blackhawks mm. organization so he knows what it takes to make that championship team and to dance on that fine line of the salary cap as long as you can until 
you get your championship. That's a, that's a good point that you, you mentioned, Ryan. And, and I, I look at, I mean, last year, going into the Western Conference Final, I thought the Jets were going to win the Stanley Cup. Yeah. I mean, they looked impressive. And in game one of the, of the Western Conference Final, they looked terrific. And then they just died. They just, they just ran out of gas. They just completely died. And so what happens if that happens again this year, right? So you, then you're, you're seeing, you know, once is might be an aberration, twice, okay, maybe we're developing a pattern here. Yeah. And so what do we have to do to fix that? Because you don't want to have, the last thing you want to see with the Winnipeg Jets is this great team that does all these great things in the regular season and then somehow doesn't have the key to unlock the playoff success. Mm -hmm. So if that happens again, then you're sitting there going, okay, we've got a flaw. We're not sure what it is, but mm -hmm. we've got a pretty major flaw here that has to be addressed. Fair. Okay, everybody, that's it for this week's episode of the podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, and go check out thehockeynews.com to become a member.